And he called me this week and he said, I needed to call you and let you know I was going back because you were part of my inspiration. The fact that you were able to push forward and I was able to get to know you helped me find me again. And for me, that was the greatest compliment anyone's ever paid me in my life. Good afternoon and welcome to our uh, No Stroke and Enable Us podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. Um, it gives me great pleasure, along with my co-host, Michael Garrow, to have today's guest on, Caroline Goggin. Um, Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'd, I'd like to um, just do a little intro, and then I'm going to let you take over. Um, I originally... Um, heard your story when you um, announced on Channel 12 um, that you had had a stroke. And I've, you know, you've been part of our, uh, our, our evening news and dinner table um, following for, for a long time here in Rhode Island before you did move up to Boston. But um, it was very brave of you to share your story, and I appreciate you coming on and telling us and give us an update where you are today. So welcome to the podcast, Carolyn. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, yeah, it, it feels kind of like a lifetime ago that I went on TV and shared my story. Um, a lot has transpired since then, but I'm happy to report life has gotten back to uh, somewhat normal. The pandemic kind of you know, made things a little bit difficult for everybody. Um, but yeah, I've moved up to Boston since. Uh, my recovery has gone really well. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get back to who I was before. But just to kind of give everyone a brief summary, at 27 years old, three weeks after I got married, um, a week after we came home from our honeymoon, out of nowhere, um, I had an ischemic stroke, which is a blood clot that traveled to my brain um, and cut off blood flow to a portion of the right side of my brain um, and, you know, ended up in the hospital for a week and went through months of trying to figure out what exactly caused it. And it was months of uncertainty and it was the scariest and most challenging time in my life. Um, you know, my husband's life, my family's lives. Um, so very happy to have made it through. And Dave, you were one of the first stroke survivors who reached out to me and, um, you know, it made a world of difference because when you're going through that really difficult time, it's nice to have someone who can relate to what you're dealing with. So I'm very honored to be on here today and to be speaking with both of you. Thanks for that, Caroline. Yeah. to have that and our inaugural guest of the yeah. podcast. So thanks for uh, the coming on. Um, yeah, I, I guess from my perspective, like, you know, 27 years old, like that's, you know, we're, we're similar in age and, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, what that feeling was not, you know, obviously for you being the, the patient, but, you know, your, your husband, you know, in, in the shoes of a newlywed and all of a sudden being smacked with a thing that normally a lot of people tend to think is an old person's, you know, disease or, or something that happens only when you're older and not a, a active living an active lifestyle as a young professional. So walk us through that, you know, what, what were some of those first days like, you know, from, you know, onset to kind of where, where you, where the family kind of got involved and, you know, that, that first week or so, you know, what, what was that like for you guys? I think we were just in shock the entire time. Um, 
you know, when I was going through the um, onset of my symptoms, which everyone asks me, how did you know it was a stroke? Do you work in the healthcare industry? Um, And, you know, I had the typical signs. I had the slurred speech, uh, the facial droop, um, weakness in my arms and my legs. And as my husband was calling 911, he kept saying, I think she's having a seizure. And I'd said to him at the time, I didn't believe it, but I said, no, Travis, I'm having a stroke. But you don't actually think that's happening to you because, you know, as you said, Michael, this is something that we associate with people over the age of, you know, 65, 70 years old. Uh, that's what we're told. Um, so when I got to the hospital, a nurse initially diagnosed me without really knowing much about my case with Bell's palsy. So when I went into the MRI, I thought, okay, I'm having, you know, the early symptoms of Bell's palsy. I didn't know what that was. Um, so when I got out of the MRI and I went into CT right away and they rushed me down, I thought, okay, there's something really wrong. And when they put me through CT and I came out and the doctor came in and he said, you've had a stroke. I knew when I heard those words that that was life-changing. Um, and I didn't know what the outlook would be because I really didn't know much about strokes. Um, So my family traveled up from Pennsylvania. My dad was actually on a business trip in Indiana at the time, flew into Boston, uh, went to the ICU in Boston after that. And I, you know, for a week, we were just trying to figure out how this could have happened. And we were discharged from the hospital without any answers. And that was really unsettling because when you leave a hospital, you know, at least that's a safe haven. You know, if something's going to happen to you you have the resources there, especially in Boston, um, of all places that if something goes wrong, you're going to be taken care of. Um, so when we left and we had no answers, I, I mean, I panicked, we got home and, you know, any type of, you know, irregularity in my body, I thought it's happening again. And that was months of living like that because we didn't have answers for a really long time. So, um, And, you know, when you look up and you Google stroke in your 20s, the things that you read are just horrible. You're going to have your someone someone wrote, you know, immediately take 10 years off your life. And these are the complications down the road. You're more likely to develop this type of cancer, um, you know, possibly a brain tumor moving on in life and all of these terrible things. And your mind just goes places where it shouldn't go at 27. Um, so it, it, it was really tough. Um, but it was really that sense of confusion, I think, more than anything as to how this could have happened, um, especially to someone like myself. I had no pre-existing condition. Yeah, yeah similar enough to, to my mother. She had a first stroke at 28. Yeah, and, you know, you know, she was quite active, ICU nurse at the time. So, I mean, she knew, like you, like she had those symptoms and she knew it was happening, but yeah, I mean, and, and that has to be such a staggering event, you know, for being such a young, fit professional to just have that diagnosis and then walk out not knowing how and why, you know, that that must have been tough for you. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the scary part is, you know, we got answers after a while, but <laughs> they say that one third of ischemic stroke patients under the age of 50 years old never learn the cause. Uh, and I just can't imagine walking this world, not knowing what happened to me and what caused it. Um, and there was, some, there was some resolve that came with knowing that this is what caused my life to change. Um, I, I don't know what I would have done if we didn't have answers. Um, 
it's it's you know they, it's a they often use that that you know that term that's often used when they don't have know the reason they call it cryptogenic and to me yeah. that's that that in itself is scary and and i had the same diagnosis until we dove deeper to find out what what caused my stroke but um you you mentioned returning home going in the hospital with a very you know comprehensive team nursing support staff and then you you come home that first night and can you talk a little bit more about some of those fears because in and maybe we'll put it in the show notes but you 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 really um the piece that you did with channel 12 um when you really did share your story that was really impactful to me and that resonated when you talked about um even being fearful of closing your eyes going to bed yeah um i think people think stroke and they think the physical aftermath of it uh, they think you can't walk anymore you can't talk anymore your face is um you're you're gonna have you know facial issues um, you're gonna deal with all of these physical symptoms so I just assumed when I left the hospital that since I pretty much had everything back except for my strength and my balance that I was going to be fine. And I so vividly remember walking through my apartment door and I had my husband who was just like grinning ear to ear, so happy we were home. Um, my mom and dad were there. My little sister was there and we were going home and my mom was going to make us a home cooked meal because I had been eating turkey sandwiches in the hospital, like not ideal. Um, and we were just going to sit around and have a family night and I was finally going to sleep. And I walked through that door and I panicked and I ended up going into the bathroom because I wanted to take a shower and I went into the shower and I sat on the bathroom, the floor of the shower and I just cried. And I had these stickers all over my arms from like, you know, they took blood from everywhere um, because they were trying to get some kind of answers. So I had the IVs in both my arms and then they were taking blood out of like every part of my wrist. They were taking it out of my hands um, and like my legs, they were injecting the blood thinners into my stomach. And so I'm sitting on the floor of the bathtub crying because I'm just like panicking. And I, at the time I didn't know I was having a panic attack, um, trying to take these stickers off. And that night I went out and we had dinner and I was smiling and I was happy to be home, but I was just sitting there so exhausted and so upset and I didn't sleep. Um, my eyes were open that entire night because I was convinced that if I closed my eyes, I was going to die. Um, and that's the way that I live life. Um, I was so afraid that when Travis woke up in the morning, he was going to roll over and I wasn't going to be there anymore. And like, we made contingency plans. I said to him like, Hey, if I die, this is what we need to do. Uh, this is what you need to do. Um, and I remember him the one day I, I had had a really bad day and you know, you're sitting at home and you're in your head the entire time. And he came home from work because I was finally allowed to be alone at that point. And I was just so upset. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to live that long. I don't know what's wrong with me. They say that I have this life-threatening clotting condition. Like, you know, life could be very different moving forward. And he sat at the edge of our bed, where was the same spot that he sat me down when I was having the stroke. And he said to me, he's like, I can't live if you're not here. So 
I need to be your purpose for you to still be here. And that was like the eye-opening it, you know, exchange that I needed at the time. Um, because you do, you go to this place that's just so dark. And I think with brain injuries, that's that's a very unique place to be in. Um, I after that talk with him, I finally went and saw a therapist. And she goes, you should have been here weeks ago. She's like, when you have something that happens to your brain, she's like, you've got, you've got this part of your body that does everything for you working on overload. Um, and then you're also trying to manage just being a human being and processing your emotions. And um, I couldn't do that at the time. Um, it just, life just got really hard. Um, so it, you know, it's hard to explain, but it just, you just don't feel like yourself anymore. Um, and I know that's something that probably a lot of people can relate to with the pandemic right now and being cooped up at home. You know, I joke with people, I'm like, your period of isolation came just a few months after mine. Um, because even when I went back to work and, you know, I, I, I was back to normal, um, I felt so isolated because you feel alone if you don't know someone else who's gone through it. Um, that's why I feel like forever grateful for all the fellow survivors I've met. That was very well, kind of, um, you know, a life-changing event. And and what I picked up on were a few things. So one, you know, we always ask and, and we're curious, you know, and, and I think it's with anything kind of as you go through in life, we're trying to find that why. You know? So what's true motivation? What's that factor? And for a lot of people, it's tough to uncover and really get that true motivation when something like this happens of course you know there's different factors that kind of pull you in, in, in different directions with that but you know the conversation you had there with travis on the edge of your bed like that that was that aha moment for you and that's when you know you realized you know there, there was something there's that big picture moment to say right this is what i'm i'm working for and with stroke recovery like you know you you were fortunate in the fact that you walked out with a few, you know, one, obviously the, the unknown, but in terms of, you know, impairments, you know, you had the, the mental health issue, you know, and that, which, you know, you've talked about and bringing that to light is massive. So many people go for a lot longer than you did without having that real conversation with someone, you know, and, and accepting the fact that this is a big part of recovery. And, and it's kind of that invisible disease that, that a lot of people don't think about, you know, for instance, with stroke survivors, they might have, you know, spasticity or a, a limp, you know, and, and that's a visible thing, but it's that invisible aspect of recovery that, that really needs, I think, more attention. So what was, you know, for, for folks out there who, who are still kind of at that stage of recovery and, you know, as a stroke survivor, you, you know, yourself, it's a lifelong process, but how would, how would you kind of suggest about kind of having that honest conversation one with yourself and then kind of going out and, and saying, all right, I need to speak with someone. This is kind of the process that I'd, I'd go to do that. Yeah. I think it's hard to have that conversation with yourself at the time. Um, I feel like you need that support system and you do need that nudge to be like, go and, and do it. And, and I feel fortunate that I had that because yeah. After Travis and I talked about it, one of my best friends came to stay with me and she's like, go see a therapist. And my mom called me and she said, go talk to someone. 
but not everyone has that. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, I remember when I was in the hospital and um, I had just been diagnosed and they took me out of the CT um, room and they just uh, checked me in in the ER before they could find a bed for me. And I asked to use the bathroom and I walked into the bathroom and I'm like hooked up to the machines and I go to wash my hands and the nurse is in the bathroom with me. And I looked in the mirror and uh, my face was still drooping. And I remember looking in the mirror and it was almost like that scene out of the movie, you know, where someone looks in the mirror and they want to punch the mirror because they're so angry. And I, I, all I wanted to do was punch the mirror. I was so mad and I was mad at myself. And, um, I, that's how I felt for a while. I'm like, what did you do? What did I do wrong? Um, because for me, I was, I'm so young. I'm very healthy. I had no preexisting conditions. I didn't do anything wrong. So I got to therapy and I'm there talking to my therapist and I'm telling her, I'm just so mad at my body. It gave up on me. It shouldn't have done that. I did everything right. And she looks at me and she goes, yeah, Caroline, your body gave up on you, but your body came back. You can't be mad at yourself anymore. And that was when I think my healing finally began was when I let that anger go. And I thought, all right, I'm still here. And if I'm still here, there's a reason I'm still here. So I think to any survivor who's going through it right now, the fact that you made it through it is proof enough that you're here for a reason. Um, and you need to take care of yourself. And whether that's seeing a therapist, joining a support group, you know, giving yourself a me day every week, because we all deserve that. <laughs> like if you don't have kids and you don't have dogs and cats and a job and like just giving yourself some grace. Um, that's, I think where my healing really began. So I would say to anybody, you know, if you're trying to figure out what comes next in your recovery, I think just forgiving yourself is probably the biggest step, at least it was for me, because I got really mad, um, which I didn't expect to, to happen. That's, a, that's such good advice too, um, because I think um, a couple of points. One is you mentioned Travis and your family, and I think everyone needs a stroke hero going through that period of time. And I know, I know I'm not the first one to come up with that term, but it, it definitely resonates. And, you know, for me, it was my wife and, um, and, you know, Mike and I have done a lot of, um, research in the last year uh, plus and really understanding survivor stories from around the world, really. And, and although, you know, no two strokes are alike, what you just described resonates with everyone who's gone through that. And, and unfortunately, some folks just don't have someone else. And, and that's, you know, um, the services because of, you know, we don't like to say the word COVID and pandemic too often on this show, because we want it to be kind of a safe space. But, um, but that's the reality. There's all these, these new things that we don't know coming down the pipeline, how this is going to affect, especially um, our community. Um, but there is a lot that just takes time with the brain. And we, it's amazing that we still don't know as much as we don't know about this incredible organ that, that 
you know, in our case has, has taken an insult and, um, you know, it leads to fear. It leads to, um, getting angry at yourself. And it's so important that someone called that out so early in the process for you that, you know, if, if you're going to be mad at yourself and I'm not saying this right, but you know, you know, be there for me. Cause you're the reason that, <laughs> and you guys were just married and just yeah. that's an adjustment in itself. And then to, um, you know, to, to come home to, okay, when's it okay to go back to work? When's it okay to think about exercising and then to have a new, um, schedule that includes doctor's visits and follow-ups and testing. And so it, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's not easy. And I really, um, you're, you're inspiring that you're, that you're able to talk about it so early on as well. So I really, I really appreciate you sharing. Um, well, is- I'm at, you know, you're talking about your wife and, you know, I, I joke with people and I say like, you know, we had just gotten married. Um, so, you know, they talk about that honeymoon period that people have when they get married. And I mean, that was gone. <laughs> we didn't have that. We had a honeymoon. Um, we didn't have that, you know, nice grace period, but I, I laugh with people sometimes about it and I can laugh about it now, but at the time it was awful, but we spent the first few weeks of marriage in a bathroom twice a day where Travis would hold a needle and I would disinfect my stomach, a portion of my stomach, and he would help me insert a blood thinner into my stomach. Um, and then I would cry because it, if you've done it, it really hurts. It's really not fun <laughs> at all. <laughs> and you think it's done stinging and then it stings more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look like a pin cushion with bruises you're, yeah, around you your belly. Black and blue marks uh-huh. everywhere, which is, you know, really attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it was such a learning process and I feel like, and people, people question me when I say this all the time, but I just feel like it was such a blessing in a way that we went through it. Um, cause I think you learn to appreciate a relationship so much more when you're tested. Um, and I think that's with any type of relationship, you know, whether it's, you know, a spouse or it's your parents or a friend, um, so I, I do feel lucky that we made it through that, but it was just not an easy process. But I do, I do feel lucky that I had a support system. And, I, and I, I grieve with the stroke survivors I know who don't have the, you know, someone there to help them through the process because that makes it a lot harder. For sure. And my, um, my, my stroke hero is also an RN. So she was actually, um, as a spouse of... Of, of a nurse um, post-stroke, I was home with three young children and I would be getting calls while she's managing patients at lifespan on her breaks, calling me doing stroke checks. So we joke about it now, but she's, are you okay? Are you, how's your left side? How's, you know, uh, and I'm, you know, and I'm like, okay, it's time to let me manage. But you, you talk about fears. I, I'm, I'm sure our stroke heroes also have fears that they have to be strong and not cheer. And that was her way of, of checking in also making sure her children were safe and dad wasn't on the floor too, but I'm just, (laughs) but you have these fears. And, you know, for me, it was, 
um, being afraid to return to driving, even though I had worked my strength back, what if, what if something happens and God forbid I have my children in the car? Um, so I didn't for a while and it was, I'm not ready yet. I knew physically I could do it. Psychologically, I was not ready. And I wouldn't tell anyone. I wouldn't share that because it, to me, it showed that I had, there was a weakness and I, and I had already faced enough of that from even uh, patients at the time, assuming they knew what caused my stroke. And I said, you really don't know what they don't know. The doctors don't know. Um, silly things like swimming underwater. I would not swim underwater. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go under. I was afraid if I held my breath, I'd cause more pressure up into my brain, especially after I had a device placed in my heart to correct the defect that caused my stroke. I would, I would make excuses with my children. I'd say, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to get chlorine in my eyes or I didn't, I was fearful of going underwater and holding my breath that I wouldn't come back up or my kids would find me, you know, at the bottom of the pool. And, and, you know, we're not going to go there, but sex, even just, and we talked about on this show when we did our next step forward program a year ago in May, we talked, we're going to talk about subjects that other, you might not hear, <laughs> but yeah. Even something like that, you, you think, and with practice, but you, but there's fear that something will happen thereafter as well. So, um, I just, um, I, I, I don't know if this is a segue into what is, what is most bothersome to you about life after stroke now? I know your, your stroke was over a year ago. You're back to work. Um, what still bothers you about stroke or about life after stroke? Um, I would say just misinformation. Um, my biggest thing always is people who don't know someone who's a stroke survivor. Um, you know, mainly people who don't have a family member who's survived a stroke. Because if someone in your family has survived a stroke, people are pretty knowledgeable about what it is um, and what can happen. But there are so many people who just don't get it. Um, I'll give you guys an example. And this is something that has really stuck with me. And it's taken a while for me to kind of just whew, and let it go. Um, I had someone say to me this past year that um, they thought that my stroke wasn't that bad. Um, so I'm just lucky because it really wasn't just that bad. It was like a, you know, fine stroke. And I looked at them and I said, that is the most ter terrible thing I could have ever heard someone say. I was like, the fact that someone ends up in the hospital, I don't care if you break your arm, break your leg, have a stroke, whatever it is. Someone goes through something like that. Like it is bad. Um, and with a brain injury, there's so much more to it that people don't know about. Um, that's really been the toughest thing for me. And the fact that people still, if I tell them that I've had a stroke, they go, that's impossible. You had a TIA. Um, or maybe, maybe you just had some kind of a concussion that turned into something more. People don't believe it. Um, when all of the research that's being done out there shows that people under the age of 70 are having strokes more than ever before. And we have so many things that are contributing to that. And we still live in a world where people just don't believe it. And there's so much misinformation. And it, it truly, it fires me up um, because I, I just, I, I don't know how people don't get it. And I don't know how you look at someone who's had it at such a young age and it doesn't, you know, 
it just doesn't click. Yeah, so. and that that's that that hurts, and that's that is um, something that I think comes from. We don't we don't teach this in school. We don't teach this early in school. We, I mean, the, the 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 data that shows how many people can actually recognize the you know the stroke warning signs is pretty it's pretty bad to begin with but we're so you know and this has been sort of a a passion that i wish that we we did do more early on so that i think we can save lives but i think we can also um we can also help to 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 have a better understanding when someone sees then here's the term stroke that they're not minimizing it like like you just mentioned a tia or no that someone got that wrong or you know um it's i'm like you mentioned the um the term because you did some of your research on that i think you mentioned it earlier around you know you 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 look fine on the outside so people feel that there's really nothing wrong on the inside right yeah, yeah. Goes back to that invisible disease state. Um, yeah. you know, it's, and I think that's probably the hardest part about it. You know, you you could be walking. I remember you know my mom walking and, and kind of having a limp, and I was a young kid, and people would be staring at her. And you know, I remember one story. We were going to a supermarket, and she, you know, she had again quite a bad limp. She has spasticity, so you could see it, right? But nobody knows. Oh, you know, she had a stroke. People, people are staring. People are like. Oh, maybe, you know, she was in an accident. I remember being young and just shouting at people, yeah, she had a stroke, all right? <laughs> like, and just, oh. <laughs> oh. Even me, but like, you're representing her, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I, so I can't even imagine, you know, kind of taking that out and having that cognitive and, and you know, you have, you know, some of those factors that are still impacting you and people just can't see through that. So, yeah, it's a challenge. And there's multiple different conditions that kind of fall under that invisible disease state. But yeah, I think, you know, it's a super valid point. And I think especially everything that, you know, has gone on this past year with isolation and, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, the point that, you, that you've raised around, you know, the mental health aspect of this, I, I think that's that's the key. That's a very key driver for a lot of folks who they don't know where to go or they don't know where to turn. So I suppose there's just to be a, a time checker here we have about two minutes or so left but i'd love to love to kind of transition into the last phase of this caroline with you and our our question at the end of, of each episode is to kind of put a if we were able to give you a magic wand you know and put that in your hands you know thinking about the stroke rehab experience you know what what would that look like for you or for future survivor um they would be connected with other survivors immediately. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't leave your hospital or your doctor's office or wherever you are without having three other people who have gone through it that are your age who are there supporting you. I have gotten so many messages from people since I've shared my story who are my age who said, everything that you said is exactly how I feel. And I wish I had known that months ago because that helped me. I had a man reach out to me the other day um, and I won't identify him, but he's a state trooper. So he's a strong guy. Um, And he had a stroke two years ago. He lost 20% of the function in the right side of his brain, 50% of function in the left side of his brain, which controls everything. 
and he's going back to work next week, full time on duty. And he called me this week and he said, I needed to call you and let you know I was going back because you were part of my inspiration. The fact that you were able to push forward and I was able to get to know you helped me find me again. And for me, that was the greatest compliment anyone's ever paid me in my life. Um, the fact that we're able to connect with each other and Dave, like the fact that I was able to connect with you, if I could have done that with someone as, as soon as I left the hospital, I would have felt like I wasn't a piranha and I would have felt like I wasn't alone. Um, and I think everyone needs that no matter what you go through in life, you just need to know that there's someone who identifies with you and who can show you it gets better and life gets easier and you find yourself again. And, um, there's no better way to do that than just seeing an example of someone else who strived after life has changed. I, I think that's so well said, and I think that's a great way to end our show today. But I'd love to have you. I'd love to have you back on, Caroline. Thank you to our special guest, Caroline Goggin, today. We agree she is indeed a stroke thriver. We had some tight recording timelines to maintain today, and we could have unpacked a lot of those topics for a much longer period of time. But we hope to have you back on. Caroline has also agreed to come back and share some updates. So we look forward to announcing her return to the show in future episodes. Thank you for joining us today on No Stroke. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke recovery in the brain with tips, technology, and interesting stroke thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.